welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. The year was 2002. I was a smitten 23-year-old, and I was dating, long-distance dating this guy. He lived in Cleveland. I lived in Toronto, and um, things were getting pretty serious. In fact, I knew that a proposal was around the corner. I knew he had asked my dad um, for his blessing to propose, and, you know, we'd been looking at rings and doing the things that smitten early 20-year-olds do. And so I was ready. I was expectant. I was anticipating an epic proposal. And like I mentioned, we were long-distance dating. And so it meant we didn't see each other that often. So when we did, I did what any in-love 23-year-old would do. I would purchase an entirely new wardrobe. I would make sure my hair and my nails and everything was just so because that weekend could be the weekend, right? And I went into every weekend, like totally expectant to the point that it didn't matter what he asked or what he wanted to do. I was sure that this was the thing. It would be like, Hey, Melissa, want to go grab a coffee? I'm like, yes, (laughs) I do want a coffee. And I would be on the lookout all of the time for like an inadvertent knee drop. I was ready and I was waiting. And so each weekend would go past and it didn't happen. And I was like, if you know me at all, It's pretty hard to discourage me. So I was like, well, it must be the next time I see him. I wasn't discouraged. I was ready. I was expectant. I was anticipating it. And in fact, he had asked me if I would be willing to go home with him. He was actually, he's from Austria. And so he wanted me to travel home with him for Easter weekend to meet his parents. And this was, this was amazing because of course he wasn't going to take me home as the girlfriend. I was going to go home as the fiance. I was going to have a big fat diamond on my hand and this was going to be amazing. I was going to walk into these situations as like this betrothed woman. I knew it. So I had no problem. I was every time again, he would come. I thought this was the weekend up until I was actually taking him to the airport. He'd driven up to Toronto and I was going to take him to the airport. I thought, oh my goodness, it's happening. He's going to propose at the airport. There will be people. There'll be clapping. I'm sure crying. Uh, Maybe someone will film this. This is before the days of Instagram, everybody. So I was like, this is it. It's going to be beautiful. And I remember even up until like I'm hugging him goodbye. He was going to go to Austria a few days before I got there. I'm hugging him goodbye. And I'm thinking, this is it. He's going to drop. It's going to happen. And he turned around and walked back, walked through the gate and, and, and to the plane. And... Yeah, it didn't happen. And I thought, I'm reading this wrong. Like, I know for sure we're going to get married. I, I know he's going to propose, but my timing's off. I mean, I knew for sure there was no way he was going to do this while we were in Europe. Um, it didn't make sense. Like, I didn't foresee us actually being alone together ever. We were meeting his friends and his family, and plus my friends and family weren't going to be there. there. I'd have nobody to celebrate with. There's no way he was going to ask me there. And so I just kind of let it go. I stopped thinking about it so much. I knew that his timing was his timing and it would happen. So when I went to Vienna, um, I wasn't on the lookout for anything. In fact, on Easter Sunday in the afternoon when he said, hey, we should actually go for a walk. Um, There's this really nice park nearby I always went to when I was a kid. I thought, sure, I didn't think anything of it. And so we're walking and, you know, probably if I would have been in my previous like heightened state of anticipation, I would have started noticing some of the signs that something was happening. But nope, I was 
sipping my coffee. I'm, I'm looking around thinking this is beautiful. You know, in, in Europe, they have spring the way spring is supposed to be, like sunny and like things blooming and, you know, warmer, but not too warm. It was just perfect. And so we're walking and Ruben starts talking like he's kind of rambling and I'm only like half listening, to be honest. And he's saying things about how much he loves me and I'm just in agreement. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I love you too. And I'm sipping my coffee. And, and then he starts talking about how he can't wait to spend his life with me. And I'm like, I know, that'll be great. And, and you know, I keep walking. And then finally he says, Melissa, you are making this really hard. And I stopped and I realized he wasn't standing beside me anymore. And I turned around and there it was. He was on one knee, it was happening. I was missing it, I was talking all over it. I wasn't expecting it at all. I hadn't even noticed that he'd stopped walking. I was literally talking all through it. It was like news I was so excited to hear. I knew it was coming. I didn't wanna miss it and I almost did. Has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever stopped anticipating something and then almost missed the thing that you were wishing for? <laughs> well, Christmas is a season of anticipation and excitement, isn't it? If you don't believe me, just ask a five-year-old. They have a whole list of stuff they are expecting this season, like a visit from a guy in a beard. There's got to be gifts and snacks and cookies and family get-togethers and Certain Christmas movies, like they have a whole list of expectations that they are ready for this season. And maybe that's you. Maybe you love Christmas. I think Angela was saying last week, she's like a starry-eyed Christmas girl. So am I. Maybe you were somebody who could not wait to decorate their house for Christmas. They don't even make advent calendars for as long as you want to count down until Christmas. And you get this season of anticipation. Others of you, maybe it's like you're anticipating something, but it's not with like hope and joy. It's more with trepidation or anxiety or fear or worry. You know, Christmas is a season we know is coming. It comes every year. December happens every year. And there's a message, the message of Christmas, of joy, of hope, of peace and of love. Man, this is a message we want to hear, isn't it? We don't want to miss it. What if this Christmas we believed that God has a message for us? What if we believed that he has a message for you and for me? What if it's true that God has a message for your family, for your workplace, for your team, for your school? And what if you entered into these next few weeks, not dreading or worrying or scrambling, but hoping and expecting him and waiting for him to show up. The truth is, guys, God is here. It's actually what Christmas is all about. We use the word Emmanuel, it's God with us. And actually we're in a, a series that we call, Thank God You're Here, God is here. He came then and he's here now. He's already here and he's not yet here. It's this crazy mystery and miracle of Christmas time, of God with us. And sometimes we forget that he's here. Like my nearly botched proposal, when we stop anticipating things, we can be ill-prepared for them. And we can miss things. 
that can happen to us with God as well. We can stop looking and listening and trusting and paying attention, and we can get sucked into that commercialized Christmas that we all have a love-hate relationship for. I know that God wants more for us this season. Unless you believe that you are the only one that God cannot show up for, I'm here to remind you that that is simply not true. Your life is not any more chaotic or screwed up than the rest of ours. And remember what Angela um, shared with us last week. Those unlikely, gritty, riff-raffy shepherds were the ones who God showed up to and showed up through at Christmas time. But how? <laughs> how can we expect God to show up today? The truth is hosts of angels like, like what happened to the shepherds are pretty rare. I haven't seen any in the sky lately. I'm not sure if you have. If, if you have, please let me know. But how can we be on the lookout for God showing up for us today, now in 2022? We're going to spend some time together unpacking four different passages or four different aspects of the Christmas story that display far more common but equally miraculous ways that God shows up for um, the people in those stories, but also I believe can show up for us in that way too. We're going to take a closer look at these four different people um, who were near to Jesus, who were not perfect. They were normal people. They were busy, they were hurt, they were jaded, they were men, they were women. And they, the difference with them is they never ex, um, stopped expecting God to show up for them. Now, as a result of this, they actually experienced God's presence and guidance in four different but specific ways that I want to unpack for you. And I think he'll do that for us too this season. We just need to be paying attention. The other thing I want to say is we call it the Christmas story, but it isn't fiction or folklore or fable or a fairy tale, all those F words. It's actually real. You may not be, you may he be here today and you're not so sure about the godness of Jesus. I get that. It's kind of weird, but you can't argue his existence. The truth is Jesus is a real person, <laughs> not just because it says so in the Bible, but actually historians lots, in lots of other bo books point to his existence. These people are real people. And I think you're going to see that most of them are not that different from you and me. So we're going to unpack these four different passages, but um, we're not going to read the entire portion. I'm going to just set the stage for you so you know where we're at before we um, kind of zone in on one particular person. So to set the stage, I want to tell you about the Israelite people. They are known as, like, they're Israelite. They could, you could call them the Jews. They're Hebrew people. This group of people, this people group, um, at this point in the story are living under Roman rule, Roman occupation. And this is something that this people group is, like, super used to. Um, unfortunately, they have had a whole story of being conquered and captured and enslaved. And um, so they're quite, even though they don't like it, they're pretty accustomed to not actually being able to govern themselves and they're always looking for someone to save them. And all through their story, Yahweh, that's what they call their God, God would show up through miraculous signs and wonders and through prophets. He would actually speak to certain people and those people would go and tell the rest of the people what God had to say and what God was going to do to help them, to rescue them, to be with them. But at this point of the story where we're coming in, it had been 400 years since anyone had heard from God. That's right, he'd been silent. No prophets, no miracles, no rescue plans, nothing. <laughs> Generations of people had been living under a tyrant's rule with 
hearing ancient stories of how God had showed up, but having no real experience themselves of his presence. The truth is people had probably stopped expecting him and expecting anything different. Not that, not that strange, right? Can you imagine that? So into that whole scenario walks a 14-year-old girl. Her name is Mary. You probably have heard of her. And she is, she's a virgin who's engaged to be married. And please don't get freaked out about that because in those days it was normal for a 14-year-old to be engaged, so it, it's okay. But into her life, an angel shows up and tells her that she is pregnant. And not pregnant the regular way, hence the virgin part, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so that meant that this baby that was inside of her was a miracle, a miracle from God. And that he was going to be the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for to save her people. Mary was carrying a miracle, the Savior. So she gets this news. Can you imagine? 14 years old, engaged, pregnant by God. And she's like, I got to tell somebody. And so she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is who we're going to be focusing on today. Elizabeth at this point was also expecting a miracle baby of her own. Not a miracle because it was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was conceived the old-fashioned way, but a miracle nonetheless. So we're going to talk about Elizabeth together. She was older. This is the reason why it was so astounding that she was pregnant. She was old, had been married for many, many years, and had been unable to conceive a baby, which was so devastating to her personally, socially, um, like in her status. It would have been an embarrassment to her. So she... um, she, she was pregnant and it was a miracle. And actually an angel delivered that pregnancy news to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. So this was, a, this was an amazing story. But at this point, when Mary shows up, Elizabeth had no idea that Mary was pregnant. Like they don't have te- telephones. Mary wasn't calling around and telling everybody this kind of stuff. That's where we pick up the story. Mary has gone to tell Elizabeth her news. And remember, as I read this passage, we're expecting God to show up in this story. So pay attention to where he does. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 44. It says, A few days later, later after Mary found out she was pregnant, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Did you get it? (laughs) Did you see God showing up? How in the world did Elizabeth know that Mary was expecting A and B that she was expecting her Lord. It says that her baby leaped within her and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something physical happened to Elizabeth that alerted her to God in action. Something normal that happens to pregnant women all of the time. God used a physical sign to signal his presence. You know, we want angels, but Elizabeth's wiggly baby was equally significant. What does that mean for you and me, especially if we're not pregnant? It means that God can and does speak to us through physical signs. Have you ever had it like when your heart just starts pounding 
in your chest or your mouth goes super dry or maybe your voice just stops at all. Have you ever had your hands get warm? All sorts of weird kind of out of the norm things happen to you physically. Maybe you just thought it was a sign of your nerves or anxiety, but what if it was God? Have you ever thought of that? What if he was prompting you to speak or to comfort someone, to confront injustice (laughs) or just to stop speaking at all? Now, not every physical thing that happens in our body is God. Sometimes indigestion is just indigestion. But I think we're way more prone to dismiss these physical promptings or to logically explain them away. But remember, the story of Christmas is God becoming human, like wrapping himself up in in flesh, showing up as a baby of all things. It's a pretty unexpected story. So if this is the kind of stuff that God does, I don't think it's a big stretch for us to believe that God would speak to us and prompt us through physical, um, like pretty regular physical things. So like Elizabeth, expect God to show up for you physically. Now, at the same time, other things were happening. That's Elizabeth's story, but God was also showing up to other people at the same time. We're going to move on in this story to another person in the Christmas um, narrative who wasn't maybe quite so ecstatic about this pregnancy news. You have an idea who it might be? Yeah, Joseph. Joseph was the fiance. He was the betrothed man. Well, man, he was probably 17 or 18. Again, young marriages there. But he was having to come to terms with this idea of a pregnant fiance. He knew that the baby was not his baby. Can you imagine for a minute how he must have felt? I'm sure he was embarrassed. He probably felt betrayed, (laughs) ashamed, stuck. I'm sure he felt stuck. Like, what was he going to do? He probably felt angry and foolish. Maybe even abandoned by God. (laughs) Have you ever felt any of those things? I'm sure you have. And when those feelings come up for you, when you're feeling alone and embarrassed, is your first inclination to trust your dreams? (laughs) Probably not. Let's look at what Joseph did. We're reading here in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son. And you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God, with, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now imagine if Joseph had kept in his mind to end the engagement quietly. 
What if he just like had the dream and like pulled the covers up and rolled over and just ignored it? I mean, that's what I do to like literally all of my dreams. <laughs> what if he hadn't been paying attention to the many different ways God speaks to his people? For Elizabeth, it was through a physical prompting, but for Joseph, God spoke to him in his dreams. Are you a dreamer? <laughs> Are you someone with vivid and specific and memorable dreams? And you, have you ever thought of asking Jesus to speak to you through them? I think sometimes this passage, at least how I picture it, and maybe it's from children's books, is like with Joseph actually awake and this angel being in his room speaking to him, but that's actually not what the passage says at all. It says that the angel appeared in his dream. Joseph didn't wake up, he was asleep. <laughs> what if God wanted to speak to you through your dreams? You know, there's many instances of this in the Bible and even today of Jesus showing up to people and encountering people in their dreams. Why couldn't he do that for you? You know, a professor at Tyndale pointed out that in the book of Job, we see that even nightmares can be warnings. They're not prescriptive necessarily, but they may awaken you to something that is happening. What if before you go to bed, you invited God to speak to you? What if it was like a simple prayer, something like, Okay, God, if you want to speak to me tonight in my dreams, I'm open. Have you ever thought of that? Now, if you're tracking with me, we've now seen that God shows up through physical signs and through dreams. I have two more examples for you to go through, um, but both of them happened after the birth of Jesus. So we're going to be picking up the story in the scripture um, after Jesus is born. Um, Joseph had decided to stick around um, to believe Mary and to believe that angel in his dreams. And so they got married and they went to, the uh, to Joseph's ancestral home, Bethlehem. You've probably heard of it. As per the government's request to take a census. And so they got there and as the story goes, Mary had to give birth. And she did so in what was most likely a cave. Not as, it could have been a stable, but most scholars believe it was a cave. And just so you know, spoiler alert, there wasn't really an innkeeper. That's not in scripture, but anyways. Um, so at this point, we've met Mary, we've met Joseph. Oh yes, and also at this point when we're picking up the story, the shepherds have had their angelic encounter and they've made their way uh, to the cave uh, to see this sweet little baby in his little wraps, swaddling clothes, wraps of cloth. Um, and they've seen him laying in a food trough, which is a manger, which is every new mom's dream is to put their precious little baby into like a disgusting food trough where animals put their mouths. Um, and they had seen those angels light up the sky and sing. So we've seen Mary, we've seen Joseph, we've seen shepherds and angels, a non-existent innkeeper. We've seen all those guys. Who are we missing that God has shown up to? You can yell it out wherever you are. The wise men, right? We're missing the wise men. Where are those guys? Actually, they were called magi, just so you know. They would have been like priests, actually, from an area in Persia that's now probably Iran. Um, actually, Daniel, in the Old Testament of the Bible, <clears throat> he was a prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and he described the Magi as astrologers who interpret dreams and messages. So these were not Jewish people, um, just so you know, but they would have been familiar with the ways of the Israelites, probably because Israelite people or Jewish people would have been living in that area, um, left over from their years of being enslaved there, actually. 
And we're not actually sure of how many they are. Like we talk about there being three wise men and that's really because there are three specific gifts that are mentioned that these magi, these wise men brought. Do you remember what they are? You can yell them out. Yeah, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's right. But there could have been more magi than gifts. I don't know if they had a one-to-one ratio. (laughs) There could have been, I guess, less magi than gifts, although that was probably unlikely just because it was a long trip for them. Another fun fact that you may, you know, might mess up your nativity scene that you have set up in your house, but um, the magi probably didn't get there until Jesus was about two years old. Um, they had to travel across the desert approximately 2,000 kilometers. Uh, they would have been on camels, um, loaded with all of their stuff. And so on average, a camel, just so you know, these are things I look up that I can share with you, can go about 30 kilometers a day, um, all loaded up. So it would have taken them quite a long time to get to, uh, to see Jesus. Uh, but those are the Magi. And so let's read about what the Bible says about them. It's uh, found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. His star. (laughs) They saw his star rise. Jesus' star. Hmm. What do you think made it Jesus' star? Was it a special shape? Again, like what we see in children's books, with like the odd shapes on how we usually draw a star. Was it labeled? Was there like a big arrow pointing to it? Jesus is star, come see him. I don't think so. You know, this is over 2000 years ago. There was no Hubble telescope. Now we do, some scholars uh, believe that the Magi would have been familiar with some of the prophecies from the Torah, which is the Jews holy book, that said that a star was was the sign of a Messiah. And that, um, and said, become the, because the Magi studied the stars, um, they would have been on the lookout for something strange like that. But this wasn't their Messiah. They didn't actually need a Messiah. Even so, um, they saw this star, these non-Jewish, foreign, um, learned or um, educated people saw a star and it compelled them to journey thousands of kilometers across a foreign land with valuable gifts for a king of a conquered people group. <laughs> what? If that isn't God, I don't know what is. Why in the world would they do that? God used a, um, a star in the sky as a sign to people that he was at work. Now, what's a sign? A sign is an object or a quality or an event whose presence indicates the probable presence of something else. That's what a sign is. A sign is an indication that something more than a coincidence is happening or going to happen. So signs can be all sorts of things, not just stars. It could be something that someone says that like just resonates, or it could be a perfectly timed appointment or a symbol um, that you just keep seeing everywhere. The thing about signs is you have to be on the lookout for them. Millions of stars in the sky and they noticed one. Enough to follow it. They were expecting something. We're not really sure what. Probably not a two-year-old Messiah. And it meant they were ready when it came. You know, one of the things I think the coolest things about the Magi is that God spoke to people who weren't Jewish and weren't looking for Jesus. Yeah, they were seekers of truth, but they weren't seekers of God per se. 
They were open to what the truth was and God used their openness and their seeking to find ultimate truth. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're not sure about all of this Jesus stuff. Like I said, the godness of Jesus kind of weirds you out. Maybe you would use the term, like you would describe yourself as spiritual, but not religious. The Magi, the wise men and the star tell us that if you honestly seek, God wants to reveal himself to you. Maybe with a sign like a star in the sky or a symbol or a picture or a closed door or a perfectly timed phone call. Who knows? God uses signs to speak. Are you looking? All right, let's recap this. We've got physical ways God shows up. We've got dreams. We've got signs, and we're on our fourth one, our last one, our last example. What's the fourth way we can see God speaking to his people through the story of Jesus' birth? It's through our feelings. (laughs) That's right. I said feelings. See, the disadvantage, like I said, of reading these old stories is that we can over-spiritualize people and situations, but please remember these are normal people. None of them, except for Jesus, were born heroes. <laughs> They're just regular people. And so this last passage that we're going to look at, again, is after Jesus is born. We're going to be looking at a man called Simeon. Now, Jesus has been born, and Mary and Joseph had, have decided that it's time to take him, um, to take Jesus to be blessed in the temple like any respectable Jewish parents would. We're going to be reading in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 2, verses 25 to 33. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Okay, notice how Simeon knew to go to the temple that day. The words the author used, the words are words like moved by, revealed by. There were no commands or physical prompts or signs in the skies or dreams or a voice from heaven. These words revealed, moved our feelings, their senses, convictions. Simeon trusted God would speak to him. He was always expecting God to speak to him. So that day when he felt moved to go, he went and trusted that there was a reason. And then he saw Jesus, who he didn't know. Remember that. And there was nothing about Jesus to indicate that he was the savior. He just looked like any other Jewish baby. He must have felt it, right? No one told him. It doesn't say so in scripture. There wasn't a, pardon me, a sign or a physical feeling or a dream, when he held Jesus, he knew because he knew because he knew God was always at work. This was the Messiah. Feelings, (laughs) senses, those are messy, right? They're hard to decipher and trust. And we don't want to become the type of people who over-spiritualize non-spiritual things, right? We've talked about this. Just because you feel like eating a second hamburger doesn't mean God wants you to eat a second hamburger. 
But again, I think we err way too much on that, on that side of dismissing um, promptings and feelings because they're hard to explain and define. I also think it's so cool that when Simeon was moved, he went to the temple where other like God people would be, where he wouldn't be alone. After something was revealed to him, he was moved towards community. He knew that whatever the Holy Spirit was telling him wasn't only for him. He knew that the best way to make sense of this feeling was to be around other God people. Now, if God can speak to Simeon through revelation and movement, he can do that for you too. And if you're someone who tends to get up in their feelings and you're not really sure if they're from God or not, then take a note from Simeon move towards other God people and ask them to help you make sense of it. So what does all of this mean for you today? (laughs) You might be thinking, thanks, Melissa. These are all really fine ideas and maybe even some interesting observations, but God wouldn't or couldn't show up like this in your family or classroom or workplace or team. So as we close today, I wanted to give you a moment to just reflect on what it would mean for God to show up for you in this season and how he could be doing that. How he could show up in a place that you are longing for him to guide you or to be present in or to bring hope or peace or joy to. You know, I long for these last few minutes to be a reminder to you that God is here. (laughs) Oh, he loves you you should expect him. We've talked about these four different ways and if you were watching, you probably saw some symbols beside them. We've talked about God showing up physically. There's a big P there. Talked about dreams. It's like a dream bubble. We've talked about signs. I just did the star because that was the sign for the Magi. And we've talked about feelings, which is a heart. We need to be aware and expect and and be open to his presence and voice and we need to ask him to speak. So we're going to have a a, a brief prayer exercise now together. And you were given a sticky note when you came in. Those four symbols represent the four ways we talked about God showing up. And as I lead you through this exercise, the band's going to come and play. While they're playing, I'd love for you to draw one or more of these symbols on your note and stick it up on the wall on those papers that are uh, up on the wall where you are. As a little act of faith, this is your little movement that... um, shows you asking God to show up for you in one or or all of these ways. You can draw all the symbols if you feel so led. So I'd like us to begin so you can just kind of sit still (laughs) and quiet. I'd love for you to just think about a problem or a complexity, something that you're really worried about or or just a, a care that's on your heart right now, something you need guidance or comfort or clarity in. If nothing comes to mind, that's okay. Just enjoy this stillness. But often it's helpful right now to just close your eyes, to close yourself off from any distractions. You can put your feet flat on the floor. Take deep, purposeful breaths. Let's do that together. One more. Just pay attention to your body and to your breathing, your posture. Now ask God to show himself to you this week. Ask him to make you more aware of his presence physically, (laughs) a baby leaping. Help him to ask him to help you to notice if your hands are getting warm or if your heart is pounding and what that could mean. 
or, or maybe you're a dreamer. <laughs> God could be speaking to you in them. Maybe you want to remember that simple prayer, God, if you want to speak to me tonight in my dreams, I'm open. And then, and then put a piece of paper and a pen beside your bed. Write down any dreams you might have and then talk to him about it. <laughs> Ask him what it could mean. Maybe you're looking for a sign, some direction, but where are you looking? Ask him to give you eyes to see and a heart that expects him to be there. And finally, maybe your life is just so rushed and hurried and crazy that you aren't even calm enough to feel your feelings, let alone wonder if God's voice is mixed in them. So maybe just even in this moment, this is a gift to you to just still your heart and your mind and make space to feel and commune with God. When you're ready, you're welcome to go and to put your sticky notes on. But as we close, friends, remember, God is here. He loves you. He wants to speak to you. Expect him <laughs> this season and always.